back. I can't believe we've been in Romans for about a half a year now. What a joy um, to feast on this. Thank you so much for the insights last week. We were just talking about what a, uh, it was so heartwarming. Kevin, I mean, you just, you're the testimony of what God does uh, in the heart of the unbeliever, making them dead to alive, and then changing them um, in that way is is amazing. And to hear about that um, was, was so good. You know, Shane, you just camped in Romans 8, and we're going to get there. 5 and 8 are so much on the security of the believer. But before, and I should have warned you, but before Josh... <laughs> shares a little bit here uh, or reads 15 to 23 you are in a feast feasty passage we were tell us about that Thursday um, so we were oh gosh man don't make me blank so we were, we were yeah. going through um, kind of in conjunction in Romans 8 the eternal glory of, of both God's creation and, and the believer and um, this past week we, we just camped out on Romans 26 through through 28. Uh, we've not yet got to... Oh, you didn't get to the golden chain We didn't, even, we didn't even get to the golden chain. We're going to kind of revisit that yes. once we get to, to Romans 9 and talk about some of the more meteor subjects okay. there. Okay, who's, uh, who's got it next week? Zach Wood. <gasps> you need to consult with Papa. He's a golden chain expert. So that is... Man... But the Holy Spirit praying for us. Right. Sure enough, Romans eight twenty eight is going to work out. Yes. Right. I mean, it just it, what what floored me is the fact that every part of the Christian life is met with and accompanied by God and through the Holy Spirit. It's like that we are not capable of doing anything on our own, even offering up the most basic desires. Wow. We need help. We need help in doing that. And what assurance we have that. When, our, when we pray with wrong intentions or, or not in the will of God, that we have a helper that will deliver our prayers up to the Lord, and they will be heard because of that. Isn't that something? Yeah. That's really well put. And not only when we do it with wrong intentions, but even maybe when we're not praying at all, right. I think he continually even intercedes for us. Right. Huh. So good. Thank you. That's it. Zach, uh, would, you said something really neat at the end uh, of class yes, uh, last week. That really got me in when we were talking about being a slave to sin and a slave to righteousness. Those two words, I haven't been able to forget it in the 168 hours <laughs> since. Isolating and isolated. Yeah. Maybe backwards there. Tell us that, that that was your experience before you were a believer and how different it is now. Yeah, I think that for sure um, this analogy of being a slave, like just being trapped in this dark place shackled in place um, and then to be released from that you know like stuck in this dungeon this dark place committing sin the slave or sins your slave master yeah and then to be released from that and you just walk out new day yeah new day yeah that is exactly a new far better day yeah, yeah. no that that um, that is for sure wow so good well um, this we're going to start in 15. Josh is, oh, if it looks like I was uh, um, like a guest star on Miss Elizabeth, what, you would be the only one. Maybe Dr. Krause. I don't know if they showed that kind of stuff in Korea. 
Uh, uh, <laughs> Omaha's Wild King. <laughs> yeah, in Maine. Yeah, did they have that in Maine, or was that just in Nebraska? Yeah, yeah Rhode Island. Yeah, we. Yeah, Marlin. And, Marlin yeah. and Jim. Yeah, yeah, Jim always got stuck doing. The oh, dirty. didn't he? Jim was. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, you need to Google it or whatever. Korea. About a month behind what you saw. Okay, about a month behind, yeah. Well, it looks like from my face that I was Jim. That I was like fighting a bobcat or something in Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. But that's not true. Amy and I go walk at a, well, she walks and I roll at a, like a, a park over in Oconee County. And it's a great date time. We love doing it. And Amy used the word catapulted. I got, I've been like, I had a new chair for like three weeks. And usually if I get a new chair, um, I get overconfident too soon and then I do something that I shouldn't and I drove off the beaten path and I don't think catapulted is exactly what happened but <laughs> I got launched out of there into the briars and the uh, um, like in the woods really except there was a bush um, that caught me I guess better one in the chair than two in the bush but I was in the bush <laughs> for uh, a while after getting thrown in there. But Amy, I got such a kick after she told Steve this yesterday. It looked like God had just set me in there because that's the same way like when I go to bed and she helps me get to bed, like you kind of roll over and lay over and that's just what I was doing, looking like I was taking a little nap. 9.15 at night in the uh, in the bush there. So, so anyway, but that was the only damage was a little bit of... Um, Briar, Briar on the face. So I'm very thankful to to be able to live another day. Josh, can you get us out of this mess? <laughs> I can't get us out of the Briar patch. But yeah, um, it was quite a story getting out of there too. By the way, that was pretty funny too. But so I just want to make a quick comment before I read, if that's all right. But one commentator, Doug Moose, said chapters 5 through 8, which we've been spending a lengthy amount of time in, is really a contrast of two regimes. The He called it the old regime of Adam, which we looked at earlier, of sin and death, the law and the flesh. Law and the flesh we'll look at uh, next few weeks. And then the new regime, Christ, righteousness, obedience, life, grace, and the Holy Spirit. And so Paul pictures the believer, Doug Moose says, as, as one who's transferred from the old regime to the new. And that comes with new identity, new mastery, uh, new slavery. And um, I just thought that was a helpful sort of summary there from Doug Moo. But today, let me read verse 15. Let's do 15 All right. to 23. That'd be a great place. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. 
For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life with in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, what a privilege it is to read and study and teach another passage from Paul's letter to the Romans. I pray that we would treasure the free gift that we have through Christ Jesus that ends in eternal life. I pray that today we would um, know how to go about um, pursuing sanctification a little bit more, and I pray that we would be edified from your word. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Without Mary Beth, did we turn that thing on? That's good. Oh, okay, good. The um, Romans 5, uh, Shane helped us, was really about security. Romans 8, we're going to get there. There's nothing about like that for the security uh, of the believer. And uh, and really in Romans 6, we've seen that um, it would give the idea of licentiousness or being an antinomian that where, wow, since I'm not bound by the law, I can do whatever I want. It just makes that um, really amazing. The idea of more sin equals more grace, so let's have a sin fest. God, Paul just puts that argument thoroughly to, um, to rest. What a ghastly thought twice. What a ghastly thought that would, um, that would be in verse 1 and in verse 15. So you can't get a more dramatic, drastic difference than being a believer and being an unbeliever. I know that Grant's going to camp on that a little bit here. And Scott here said that there's two completely different lives, um, totally opposed to one another, the life of the old self and the life of the new. They're two drastically different roads, the broad road that leads to um, destruction, the narrow road that leads to life. Whatever road you're on, it's interesting, whichever road you're on, that road is you're a slave on that road either one right you're either a slave to sin and to death a slave to righteousness and god so that slavery of god yields a precious return of sanctification um and eternal life and the slavery to sin also yields um just a steady moral deterioration fascinating of that the well, I'm going to leave that to Grant. Grant's got some good stuff on that. Um, Dr. Lloyd-Jones encourages the listener to ask himself three questions to test if something from the old life or the new life in Christ. Does it give satisfaction to the mind and heart? Does it help grow in fruit and knowledge? And does it help one lay in store for the future? Right? Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven. Don't store them up down here. Right? That's the, that's a whole wrong mindset. So, if no is the answer to any of those questions, that lifestyle might not be re- leading down the path um, of eternal separation from God. Now, this is something intriguing that we ask the students at school. Really something. The unbeliever, don't you think, and go back to, if you can remember when you're an unbeliever, see if you didn't think like this. I think the unbeliever oftentimes feels like, okay, if heaven and hell are real, believers do win in the end eternally. But right now, believers are kind of losing. Right? The unbeliever, that's where it's at. 
You've got all of this freedom. You get to sin like crazy. You get to do all, all, you, all you want. You guys are living boring. You've got to obey the rules. And plus, you have to wear Sunday shoes. Right? And so that's just misery. And so that, I think that's the... If, you, if an unbeliever said, I am probably just want to pray a prayer to become a believer before I die. I would like to get saved on my deathbed because I don't really want to go to hell. But right now... The life of the believer is unattractive. What would your answer to that be? What makes the life of the believer right now, not only for eternity, we know that's going to be unbelievable, but right now, why is it better to know Christ? Got, I mean, hundreds of answers. What would you say? Mallory, you're close there. Good. Oh, that's two huge. Two huge ones. Yeah, the stability that the unbeliever is missing out on. Yeah, the life of the believer is stable in, in a huge way, different way. Yeah. Nope, I love that. And the fellowship, they're missing out on the best part of life. Fellowship to have with the Lord Jesus? How incredible is that? No, oh, that's two really good ones. What else? I was thinking, kind of in line with what she was saying, like, even though an unbeliever might feel that there's freedom and there is, like, a great life apart from, like, contrasted with the life of the believer, I think at the heart of their being, like, in their core, they feel an emptiness. They feel a disappointment with even the best things of this life, I think. Yep. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we we do feel uh, a brokenness because it's it's just part of our, our broken world, right? Isn't so I think I think they still feel deep down in that there's something missing or something empty. That's really neat, Kelly. Because don't you think that's got to be God's common grace there? That every single unbeliever really has an emptiness. Like, man, something's not quite right. Yeah. Like when Mark talks about the Tom Brady, uh, you know, interview. Yeah. It's like, I have all of this and something's missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. What else? How? What else would you say if you were convinced, and not that you're going to convince them, but what would you say Hey, wait a second. You're missing out on so much. This life's not boring. This life is thrilling to know Christ. What would you tell them? Those are three really good thoughts so far. It's like you gain a peace and a cease from striving, and it actually yeah. opens the door to like actually living. Because yeah. Before you're, you don't realize it, but you're so preoccupied with being your own savior or trying to save other people or trying to like fill that hole that only God's supposed to fill. Yeah. And then after that it's like you you actually start the adventure yeah. of like the lifetime then like it, it's different. It's yeah. just when you're abiding. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's really good. Yeah. An adventure but a thrilling one. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. There's that peace that surpasses all understanding that they don't have. Kyle, you're saying Callie, there's always this Thanks. Like you can look in her eye and see it. Usually, like this, this something's unsettled. And uh, yeah, that's really, really good. That is the start of life. 
The life that is truly life, First uh, Timothy 6, 19. True life starts the second that one becomes a believer and not one second before that. That's really good. What else? If you were going to, because part of making the teaching of our Savior attractive <laughs> is, I think, showing, that's Titus 2.10, showing them that they're, that living for Christ is really glorious. We don't want to make it look miserable. Yeah. That's not going to be very attractive to them. What else would you say? We have abundant life in Christ. Yeah. And, I mean, I won't cover it a little bit later, but um, in Romans 6, it talks about, in verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at that time with things of which you are now ashamed? (laughs) And the thing is, is that even unbelievers can acknowledge that there's sin, that there's good and evil. They can can be ashamed of things, too. Um, They may not necessarily recognize that they're offending a holy God, but they do recognize that lying is not a good idea, that murder is not a good idea. And that fruit goes with it, don't they? I think they realize that their sin, they may say that it's made them, I don't know, that it's been enjoyable, whatever, but they know that lions hurt them. Yeah, Jerry, that's really good. Yeah. And that's John 10, 10, right? Jesus came to give us life and give it to us more, but Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. And man, is sin destructive. Absolutely. Uh, guys, let us, Josh and Grant here, help us because Jerry beat us to the punch on 21. What a intriguing and fascinating thing. Grant, do you have anything on 20 before we get there, though? Um, four, and remember, don't miss out on the fours. When you're reading Romans, if you are all right circling in your Bible or underlining or coloring some kind, the four means that there's another he's adding to the argument, right? And so if you go back to 19, four, just as you were once uh, presenting your your members as slave to impurity and the lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Okay, so it's a whole different direction that we're going. Four, when you were slaves to sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. Now, he's talked about this freedom uh, in a different way before, but now he's kind of does it in a reverse way. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from righteousness. You didn't have a righteous <coughs> option, right? Everything the unbeliever, I read somewhere this was interesting. The unbeliever is tied to sin. They get to choose how they sin, what that sin Maybe to what degree or whatever, but they're certainly not free from it. They just get to choose sort of the kind of sin they're doing. And and we are free from that positionally in such a incredible way. Josh? Yeah, I think uh, on just verse 20, this was helpful for me because it's kind of a, the verse is a little bit tricky to understand, or at least it was for me a little bit. For, for when you are slaves of sin, you are free in guard to righteousness. But um, I think Tom Schreiner said, those free of righteousness are slaves to sin. Like you said, he just, it's kind of put in reverse from how we've been hearing it before. And Paul does admit to a certain sort of kind of freedom to those apart from Christ, but it's only in respect to one thing. They're, they're free in regards to righteousness. They have no righteousness. They're free from the power and influence of the conduct that pleases God. I, that was a helpful way uh, that um, Schreiner and Doug Moose sort of put it together. And then that leads to the great 
question of 21, which I can't wait for Grant to share with us on that. Neither one of us can wait. I think with 21, um, Paul asks a question, and he's asking the reader, the, the believers in the church at Rome, and then by extension us, to think through this question, what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you're now ashamed? And he's asking us to, I think, deliberately think through what did sin ever do for us? What did we ever get from sin? What benefits did it ever procure for us? And um, if we think back even just to our own lives, we know sin never delivers. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers by a long shot. And um, I think we can use this in our thinking to pursue sanctification. It's kind of like... Um, this argument, you, you consider the outcome and then you let that sort of dictate your present action. He's asking, I think, us to do that a little bit. What what were you getting from these things? And I think it's designed to help our, help, you know, sort of be fuel for our sanctification and pursuit towards Christ-likeness. And um, I, one of the pastors I listened to told a story, it, you know, in our own conversion, for us that are genuine believers, there was a real hatred for our sin in our past life. We think about who we were before Christ and our old nature and our old man and how we used to sin, and there's a real a revulsion from that. We are truly ashamed from the things that we did. And, um, you know, I think maybe when we're thinking about conversion or just trying to think about when conversion takes place, somebody that revels in past sin or they're glorying in it a little bit or they look back on their past life of sin with some, you know, admiration or, um, you know, a sense of enjoyment, that I think would maybe raise some question marks of, is this real conversion here? And certainly we can test our own hearts with that. Are we, you know, looking back in any kind of admiration on past sin? And hopefully because of what Christ has done and accomplished on our behalf and our newfound life and faith in Him, we're truly repulsed by sin and want nothing to do with it. <clears throat> That's absolutely. Repulsed is a good word, Grant. Yeah, I think <clears throat> you bring that up and we've all heard, you know, the testimonies that people tell and it's almost like they're trying to impress with the level of depravity that they had before and that sort of the focus was how bad they were before um, versus a, when you hear a true uh, testimony, it's only talking about those things to just show the magnitude of God's grace that he would save someone like that. The focus isn't on those things. It's focuses on God's grace. So I think, yeah, that's that's a really interesting point that the focus shifts. But <clears throat> I'm still kind of thinking on your first question there because I think that's something that we could run into in the workplace or anything like that. But I probably wouldn't be as quick on the uptake as some of these answers that people gave. But even if we just said, okay, I'll grant, we'll, we'll just pretend that what you're saying is true, even even though it's not. What um, worldly system doesn't teach that delayed gratification is better than immediate gratification, not preparing for the future? So I think that no one in this world is free from the fear of death. I think that haunts the unbeliever um, <clears throat> all the time, and no matter how much they try to ignore it, with whatever they're into or whatever uh, method they use to try to suppress that fear or get away from it or um, live in light of that fear. Um, I think that could be something, a strong argument for, for the yeah. believer 
is I like that. So you're saying just that alone, that not having to fear death anymore. Yeah, there's no sting for us. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's huge because that's that's where Paul has been leading. We talked about that a little bit last time, that death, he keeps bringing up death. I think that is literal death, but also more importantly spiritual and final death and damnation. And he brings it up here in verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death. He's showing that the fruit of those things... Um, is death but Josh I also wanted to ask you um, the the non-believers testimony wouldn't really be that they're having a better time now in the counseling world everybody seems to be needing a counselor would you agree with that they're trying to deal with some sort of anxiety fear temptation behavioral (coughs) modification they're trying, it seems like everybody and their brother and sister has a counselor these days. What, what would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, I, it does seem like the, a lot more people are going <coughs> to counseling and people are vexed, I think, increasingly with worldly anxieties and worldly cares and fears and just the, the troubles of life, you know, apart from Christ, when you don't have, I think somebody said stability, Christ brings so much stability to your life because the ultimate questions of life are covered. And um, I'm not sure if I'm answering the question, but I do think for the unbeliever, it would, you know, believers and, I mean, believers certainly need Christian brotherhood, friendship in the Christian life. Counseling is a good thing in that regard for sure. But um, you see people looking for answers, I think, in the, in the broader world because they, there is no stability. Their internal states are just all kind of topsy-turvy because of the fears, anxiety, depression from what's going on in life. <clears throat> Which definitely, I mean, it makes you really hurt for the unbeliever. But we have got to jump on that, don't we? That gives us... If they're hurting more than they used to be, which it seems like they are, generally speaking, then what? It, they're more open, right? Oh, good night, Quasi. You could give us a, a month of Sundays of times where you're talking to people that are probably really hurting, and you've got the answer. And because the depth of their hurt is so deep, they may be more willing to listen now than if they felt like, yeah, I'm really doing pretty well. Yeah, that's that's interesting, which kind of goes back into what y'all are saying. There's not a stability. Yeah, that's good, Grant. Yeah, because I just, I think the, the topic of death, nobody really wants to talk about that. Mark talks about it all the time. That's the conversation people want to steer away from, and I've had that conversation with a few people, and they're usually trying to ignore it, or they pretend that it doesn't matter, that they can have a fulfilled life that just suddenly ends, and that's okay, but you can tell that's, like for the un- unbeliever, I mean, death is guaranteed to everybody. We're all, we're all going to die, and it's imminent, and it you never know when it's going to happen. So it just, I don't know how you could go through life with, you're trying to build your business, your little empire, a family, all these things, um, make money, build up wealth, but at any moment, it's just done. You die and it's all over. Everything that you were striving for, everything that you were interested in, it just comes to an end with death. And I don't see how um, the, the non-believer can get away from, from that thought, that at any moment it can just be gone. But for the believer, it, you know, there's no, no sting in death. It's been conquered by Christ who we're, who we're united to now. And we're, we won't 
who will be raised again with them. I think that could be uh, a huge, huge conversation. Yeah, that commentator called it the claustrophobic kingdom of self. I really think that's pretty quite a bit of truth in that. It's the unbeliever is living in a claustrophobic kingdom of self, trapped, isolated, just can't get out. Ugh, you know, feeding self, feeding self, feeding self, not working becoming a little more miserable than you were the day before and man we've got to answer and we got to tell them right man let your light shine before man and then and they may ask you or beat them to the punch and just ask them you know and uh and whatever their counseling is giving them is not the answer right unless they're going to something josh they're not getting the right answer in that uh, grant 21 what you got I, this uh this idea i love your thoughts on not only is sanctification ramping up but for the unbeliever destruction is ramping up if you would yeah yeah Mark, martin lloyd jones sort of presented that to me and i guess i sort of knew that somewhat but it had never been presented so concisely at the same time that there's these two trajectories um one going up in the wrong direction for the unbeliever and one going up in the right direction for the believer because in verse 21 Paul is saying but what fruit were you getting at those time at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed and we know from um, maybe in verse 19 for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness um, this idea that sin begets sin that uh, the unbeliever um, sin is multiplying either in broken relationships or, or sins against the self that just lead into more and more and more deeper sin um, there's this idea that I guess for me when I run across people you always think that as people get older they get wiser better nicer kinder more generous with money things like along those lines but the Bible I guess would present the idea that people are getting worse and worse that as we sin we or as we as non-believers sin that begets more sin, which begets more sin, which begets more sin, increasing in lawlessness. And we see it in our culture, but maybe I don't recognize it individualistically that each person is, is getting worse, even though in some areas they may be presenting better as more generous as they're older. But there's this terrible trajectory of just getting worse and worse, leading to, to more and more judgment. But for the believer, um, it's the opposite. Martin Lord Jones said this, <clears throat> as you go on living the righteous life and practicing it with all your might and energy and all your time and everything else, you will find that the process that went on before and once you went from bad to worse and became viler and viler is entirely reversed. You will become cleaner and cleaner and purer and purer and holier and holier and more and more conformed to the image of the Son of God. So for the believer, there's this continual increase in righteousness and holiness that is contrasted, I guess, with the unbeliever who's continually becoming more and more unholy. That's good. Josh, didn't Sibs, who were you, you were quoting somebody? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, About some reasons not to sin here. Yeah, I think Paul gives us one reason here in verse 21, and I think we're going to look through a lot of other reasons, but in 21, what fruit were we getting? Nothing good resulted from sinning. But uh, it was just fun this week to think about all the reasons we have not to sin. I mean, there's so many but uh, I just was reading a, a Puritan named Richard Sibbs. He wrote this book called The Bruised Reed. It's a really good book. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who we quote frequently in here, uh, 
called Sibs uh, a balm to his soul at a time where he was just, I think, sort of burned out on ministry. Sibs was called the, I think they call him the heavenly sweet dropper or something like that. Um, our Puritan expert, Miss Elizabeth, could probably clarify. But um, are you studying him a little bit, or just yeah. like all of them in general? In general, yeah, yeah. all of them. That's great. So he he was, um, I think, unique. And just reading through this book, a few pages a day was really uh, helpful. And I'll just read this quote really quick. Sibs talking of Christ. Um, let me, he bases this whole book, the Bruise Read, off of the verse in Matthew 12, 20, uh, which was a fulfillment of a uh, prophecy out of the book of Isaiah. But Matthew 12, 20 says, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, talking about Christ. So Sibs kind of goes through and defines these terms. The bruised reeds, a man that's under great misery, tied to his sin, and he's dejected and sorrowful. And... Um, he talks about how Christ restores the sinner, and Sibs says this. He is a physician, talking of Christ, he is a physician good at all diseases, especially at the binding up of a broken heart. He died that he might heal our souls with a plaster of his own blood, and by that death save us. Uh, has he not the same heart in heaven? And so I think, tying this back to your question, Getting these clear and high and wonderful views of Christ, I think, makes sin so unappealing. We don't want to sin to offend this great Savior that we have, who is who's meek, who's compassionate, who's merciful, who is kind, who uh, loves and cares for us. And um, there's another verse just just a little bit earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, I think chapter 11, 28 through 30. It's the only time we're given a picture of what Christ's heart is actually like. Um, and this is Jesus talking. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I just think about... The slavery to Christ versus the slavery of sin contrasted. Christ is, is a kind master. He's, he's, uh, he's one that we want to follow and we don't want to offend by sinning. So I think just some of these kinds of thoughts for me are great um, fuel for not sinning because yeah. um, it, it, I love Christ. Christ, more importantly, loves me. And <clears throat> I want to honor him with my life and not sin. But for sure, the more ammunition we can have against sin, let's let's camp on that and think about that. I want to give you a lot of reasons. Um, uh, just fast, and we'll go through these in a big hurry because we don't have much time. We'll put them on the uh, the Romans um, group meet too. Um, from the passages we've already had. Oh, this was Sarah ten days ago on Sarah Caitlin's friend, the nurse at our table Thursday night. It was so good. And it was, a, she just said what she wanted to do. And I thought of verse 21, man, when she said it, she, let's go by God's track record and sin's track record, right? God's 100% on his track record in his faithfulness. And sin is also 100% in its track record of destruction. Now, I think that's verse 21 for you, isn't it? that but what fruit are you getting at the time 
for things you are now ashamed. For the end, all these things lead to death. We tell our students at school, I call it the old man verse, verse 21. Because as an old man, I can think back 56 years and not come up with one thing, one time where I wished I would have sinned more. I can come up with the 10,000 times where I wished I would have sinned less or would have done the right thing. But I cannot come up with one like, man, I had an opportunity to sin there and I blew it. No, there was never that. And so it's a hundred percent. There's a bunch of reasons we've gone through these in Romans. Uh, sin yields no good fruit. Number two, sin shameful. Uh, we've covered that. Number three, sin brings death. Physical death, like in the Garden of Eden, always the spiritual get death, like Grant said. Number four, sin is slavery. We're slaves to, to sin, slavery with a bad master instead of slavery with uh, the Lord Jesus, gentle and lowly as our, our master. Number five, sin is described as a body of death. Turn one page, 24, 724. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Pretty graphic. Number six, sin's deceptive. Turn about 50 pages over to Galatians 6, if you would. Galatians chapter 6. There's a few reasons in this little, just incredible passage in Galatians 6. Sin is deceptive. Um, verse... Seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. It mocks God, number seven. Right? Sin mocks God. What are we doing? Stay away from it. You don't have to go there. Get out of that. That's, that's mockery of God. Number eight, it reaps what we sow, right? Look at Galatians 7. Do not be deceived. 6, 7. God is not mocked for whatever one sows... That will he reap. We know that. We can say that in our life. That's our testimony too. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Okay? So he tells us that. So then what does he do? Like he always does. Then he says, verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap... Um, if we don't give up. So there's a command followed by what we learned there. First Corinthians, turn back a few pages to First Corinthians chapter six, a familiar passage. First Corinthians Um I'll just read one verse. Verse in uh, reason number nine, because you've had a way of escape, that's ten thirteen. Uh, you guys are familiar with that. No temptation has taken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted above, beyond, uh, beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. So that you will be able to endure it. Don't hang around there. Get out of there. There's a way of escape. Okay? If there's something tempting, that don't, don't camp there. Take the way of escape. That's number nine. Number ten is in verse chapter 6. I love this. 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Number 10. 10 threes and not to sin. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't bring the Holy Spirit into sin. 
There is nothing in common there. Number 11, you're not your own. Isn't that a great statement? You are not your own. We're not just, it's not up to us anymore. Oh, wow. Well, we hear that this week, right? No, no, no. This is my body. I got, I'll do with it what I want to. No. We, as believers, are not our own. It is not my decision to do what I want. That was given up when I put my faith in Christ. It is up to him now. And I get the word of God, and you do too, that we can go by. So there is no business for us to say, oh, no, that's what I'm going to decide. I'm going to go that route. That's not ours to choose. Number 12, you are bought at a price. You are bought at a price. The Lord Jesus paid so that we do not have to continue in sin anymore. He, we were bought at a price. So then, therefore, what do we do? We honor God with our body. Turn over to Jeremiah 2. Number 13, Jeremiah 2. This is a fascinating passage. I remember when Mark used to talk about this every week. That was probably a decade ago, and it was so good. Verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. Has a nation ever changed its God, even though there are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Sin is a fake, a phony, and fraudulent. Probably some of those words don't start with F, but they... It's all sin is always fraudulent. It's fake. It's phony. Like it, it, you know, they're, they don't change what the Lord Jesus for something that's not gonna uh, give you anything. Sin is appalling and shocking. Josh said something um, about this a little bit sooner there in verse eleven. But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Verse 12, be appalled, O heaven, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Is sin shocking and appalling to you? Is your sin shocking and appalling? It ought to be. It ought to be. It ought to be like, oh, no. This isn't a little thing. Our gossiping at lunch is not a little thing. Our selfishness is not a little thing. My pride issues, that is not... They're respectable sins in Jerry Bridges' book. That's what he calls them, but he doesn't mean that they're not shocking and appalling. They're respectable to each other. How about our sin of omission? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and... and uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. How about be joyful always? How many times are we doing that? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. And, that's shocking. That I, my prayer life is what it is. It's appalling. I'm not praying without season. I want to. I need to. And I need to be. I need to race to Jesus for that. For his forgiveness where I'm blowing it. But his help. Uh, like Shane was talking about in Romans 8. Uh, 26. Um, 15. Sin is forsaking God. Number 15. For my prophet. For my people. Listen to verse 13 here. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Okay? So that's on one side. They for, We forsake God when we go the route of sin. Number two, though, here, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. 
So sin is forsaking God, number 15. Number 16, sin is turning away from living water in favor of broken cisterns. That doesn't make any sense. If you're in the desert, you're not trying to like grab a handful of sand and find some water and that there might be a you're not stuffing your you got a living water right there you would take it get a drink it's right there all day long we have availability to the lord jesus he's right there keeping us from sin don't turn away from him to broken cisterns again whatever that might be um in our lives and then Finally, in 1 Thessalonians, should have probably put these in a different order, and now you're going back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, number 17, and this is a passage on sexual immorality. There's more in here. Some of them we've covered already, though. Look at verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It is never God's will to sin. God's will is our sanctification. Uh, a lady at um, Surfside Press where we used to, where Amy and I met and got married, it's never right to do the wrong thing. It's never right to do the wrong thing. It's, it's never God's will to sin. Never ever, no matter what that is. Number 18, so sin always hinders sanctification. Let me read all the way here for three, four, five. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passionate lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's what we're doing. Number 19 is imitating the unbeliever. Right? Don't act like the Gentiles that don't that don't know God, right? That's the way that was our old life. Right here. That no one transgress or wrong the brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we have told you beforehand and solemnly warned you now for God has not called us to impurity but in holiness and it's available we have it it's ours therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you number 20 20th reason not to sin. Sin um, disregards God. And I hope just a little thought about this helps us to to have some more ammunition this week to say that is not the route I'm going. Whatever the temptation. 23, you guys can maybe start on that even some next week, but Grant, give us uh, some final thoughts there on the contrast. What a great contrast in verse 23. Yeah, Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the contrast is, um, in sin we earn something. We earn death. That's the wages we're paid. Like a soldier's paid his nightly meal or his final payment at the end of his term. Uh, in this case, our payment would be death for the sin we've committed, either physical death, which I'm sure this includes, but uh, I think more importantly, the spiritual death that we'll experience in eternity. Um, But the contrast is, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's not that Paul doesn't say, for the wages of sin is death, but the wages of righteousness is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He he could have said that, and it would have been 
okay, but I think he's steering so far away from that we earn anything to do with this eternal life. It's a complete free gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this eternal life doesn't just mean uh, mere existence for eternity because we all will exist for eternity in one form or fashion, either in damnation or in eternal life with Christ Jesus. I think this idea of life um, is a little bit more than that. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the life of God and the souls of men, we experience it now and we'll experience it more fully um, in the life to come. But it's the life of man means the existence of man as he ought to exist in union with God and consequently in holiness, purity, health, and happiness. Man as God intended him to be is man enjoying life. Man as he sins, man as sin makes him is a man abiding in death. Some verses to sort of talk about this is not just mere existence would be 1 John 5.11, and this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you so, these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John 10.10, 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. John 11.25, uh, Jesus talking to Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never not, never die. And so there's so much going on with this, but it's not just existence. It's this union with Christ to live in the fullest terms uh, for eternity, yeah. never ending. Now, yeah, Grant, good. What a great summary, Romans 3, 20, 20. Uh, Romans 6.23. What a great verse. Right, Grant, could you close us? Sure. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day. And Father, thank you that we can study your word together as a local church and gather together openly and publicly uh, without fear. And Father, I thank you for your word and our language um, that we can easily understand. And Father, I pray that we would be changed by this teaching in your word and we would know that we do not have to sin we are free from it and we are a slave to you and to righteousness and father i pray that we would increase in holiness this week and i pray this in jesus name amen